You're listening to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority of their families. Thanks so much for joining us and listening in. My name is Todd Lesher, and I am your host, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to have these conversations with all our wonderful guests. Well, today we are going to discuss love and logic tips and tricks with Jim Fay. Of all the episodes that we have done over the past couple years, our episode with Jim Fay back in 2017 2018 is our most downloaded episode. And so back by popular demand is Jim Fay. Welcome back to the podcast, Jim. Oh, what an honor to be back with you. Thank you. Yes, it's such a privilege. Well, why don't you refresh our listeners? What is Parenting with Love and Logic all about? You know, Parenting with Love and Logic is a way of working with kids that does a number of things. And one is it, it puts the fun back into parenting while still building responsibility, uh, enhancing cooperation, and building relationships. Uh, you know, the kind of relationships uh, that might cause your kid to pick a lot better nursing home for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but That's more, good. More than all, uh, you know, there, there's so many things hitting our kids now from all directions. Uh, so many temptations, so many decisions they have to make, and uh, we can't be there to stand between them and those b- bad decisions they might make. So love and logic actually creates kids that have a little voice in their head that says, I wonder how my next decision is going to affect me. Hmm. And if you do that, you got a pretty good chance that uh, when you're not around and there's a huge temptation, uh, kids will be able to handle it. Yeah. Well, aside from a really nice nursing home when we're older, uh, unpack the idea of why it's so important for our children to learn to take responsibility for themselves as they grow up. Well, once more, we're getting back to um, the quality of their lives, I mean, long term are based on the decisions that they make. Yeah. And with love and logic, we want to find a really loving, gentle way to help them get a good good foundation in cause and effect thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, if I do this, this may happen. Uh, How is it going to affect me? Uh, there's so many kids who are growing up today, you know, if I make a bad decision, my parents are really going to get mad or my parents are going to freak out or whatever. And that's not healthy. Besides, we want to do it in such a way that we can discipline our kids when we have to in such a way that they don't see us as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Well, they want to, you want them thinking, boy, that decision I made is the bad guy, yeah. not my parents. Yeah. that, And I know a lot of parents would really love to be viewed a little differently. And I love that you said putting the fun back in parenting because teaching our kids the blessing of thinking for themselves allows parents to win as well in the process. And if you're spending a lot of time arguing with your kids or or trying to force them into doing things or seeing things your way, um, boy, those few years that we're going to have with our kids are going to feel like an eternity. Mm, That's right. 
Well, you have spent years just sharing wonderful, practical advice with parents. But before we jump into that, which we'll spend a majority of our time talking through, can you give our listeners kind of a broader perspective on parenting younger kids compared to parenting teenagers? Yeah, you know, with young children, uh, we tend to try to make it way too complicated. What we want to do with the young kids is, first of all, have lots and lots of fun, uh, lots of hugging, a lot of kissing, a lot of silliness, so that they really want to be around us. And when things go bad, instead of saying to ourselves, oh, what do I do, what do I do? You just have something in your back pocket that you can use every single time. And uh, what we did was we took a whole grist of psychology and built it into this so that People don't really need to know the psychological foundations for this. All they need is the words to say. Mm -hmm. And so with young children, and we're talking about kids up to the age of when you can no longer get them off to their room or change their location without a physical battle. So that means usually between ages one and five, we use what we call the OO song. Hmm. Now, the O-O song is actually a song, and there's several different steps in it. It's one of the few things we say to parents, do these steps exactly the way we prescribe them, and you'll never, ever need to spank your kids. We can guarantee that. And uh, so it's designed for any behavior that this young child has, even if it's something that's never been invented by any kid on this planet ever before, you know? So it's kind of funny. I teach this thing, and every once in a while people say, yeah, but what if he bites? What if he hits? What if he screeches? Ah, This covers all that stuff. If you don't like the behavior, it's the oh-oh song, and Mm -hmm. step one says, oh-oh, and you actually sing it out like that. Oh-oh, because, see, when you're singing like that, you can't be angry at the same time, and you're kind of indicating to the kid this is going to become his problem, not your problem. So it's, oh, oh, little bedroom time or a little playpen time or a little uh, high chair time or whatever. And we're actually going to remove him immediately. Yeah. Now that's step one. Step two involves something we call paradoxical psychology, which people used to call reverse psychology. And that is, uh, if I say to you something like, Todd, uh, Whatever you do, don't think about elephants. What happens? I'm thinking about elephants right now. This <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm, while I'm singing to this kid, I'm saying, and now we're racing off to his bedroom right now. Okay, even if I have to pick him up, right? Oh, oh well, have a nice little fit. We'll see you when you're sweet. Hmm. It's just a lot harder for a kid to have a, a fit, especially if he's strong-willed if you're telling him to do it. Have a nice little fit. We'll see you when you're sweet. So then step three is once you get him to the room, uh, you can say, uh, well, give him some choices. You want to stay in there with your door open or door shut? And, of course, some kids are going to try to get right back out. And, oh, that's sad. You chose shut. Now, uh, shut or locked? Now, I don't want a kid in a locked room because Mm -hmm. of safety issues. Uh, But uh, we've had a lot of parents discover that if they take like a washcloth, you know, and uh, 
wedge it between the door and the door jam up high where the child can't reach it. Mm -hmm. The child can't open the door and come out. But if there were a fire, we could pop that door open just by hitting it. It would pop right open. So we cover the safety issues. But it's nice to give them choices. You want to stay in there with the door open, door shut, door shut, door locked, whatever. Now, uh, this sounds a little bit like an old thing called timeout. Mm-hmm. And it certainly isn't. Timeout has never been successful, and yet people use it over and over and over. Uh, see, an old, the old timeout thing, you can come out when you can be good. Well, they want to come out right away. I want that child to have a period of time that he can prove that he can stay calm. So I like five minutes. So as soon as he's in there, I'm going to say, well, I'll set the timer. And when the timer goes off, if you're still calm and sweet, you can come out. Okay. So let's suppose he's in there and he's, he's calm for three minutes. He's, but I want to come out. How sad, we set the timer and it starts all over. And we keep setting that timer over and over until the kids can prove they can stay calm for five minutes. Now, uh, I've actually believed, there are some people that actually believe that if you expect a kid to stay calm for five minutes, that's abusive. But uh, I've never been able to find any research that says that it's so. Mm. Good practice for being an adult, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh well, let's, what if he's in there yelling, but I'm going to throw up. Well, don't throw up in your bed, you know. Uh, or if he's in there tearing his room apart, you don't get suckered into that. You, uh, We can go deal with that later on. He can put his room back together later on when everybody is calm, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, step one, oh, oh, song. Step two, have a nice little fit. Step three, choices about the room and disable that door. And then stays calm for five consecutive minutes. So he has time to start saying, I want to be with the family. I want to be with the family. See, the most drastic consequence for a little kid is not to be around flesh and blood. So I don't care what he's doing in there, but he's going to be calm for five minutes. Then when he comes out, It's awfully tempting to want to teach him why he was in there and give him a a good talking to about it. But no, you just let him blend right back in the family, and then you go to prayer. Hmm. Please, Lord, have him act up as many times as possible today so we can get as many repetitions as possible on this. Um, We've had a lot of parents who've said, I've got a totally out-of-control three-year-old. He's a tyrant. And uh, what they've decided to have is what they call an O-O weekend. Hmm. And an O-O weekend is we dedicate the weekend to nothing except being there and ready uh, for him every time he acts up uh, to go to his room or his playpen or whatever. We do that very consistently without any anger, just the way it's prescribed. And they tell us, I have a different kid on Monday. Totally different kid. Mm. Because what he's learning there is he's learning the adults are going to run the house. They can be loving authority figures. And the other thing he's going to learn is that you can be around other people when you're sweet and not when you're not sweet. Mm -hmm. And just think about this, Todd. If a kid learns that when he's three and four or five years of age, 
Is it possible that his first three spouses or partners or whatever won't have to teach him about that later on? That's right. Yeah. And how many people have never learned that by the time they leave school? So yeah. That, that's the process, and uh, that that particular th um, technique is on uh, our books called Love and Logic Magic for Early Childhood, uh, and uh, another audio called um, Love and Logic Magic When Kids Drain Your Energy. It often helps if parents will listen to that a few times and uh, decide what they're going to do, and then pray to run an experiment. See, we never tell people, here's what you ought to do, but we say, here's an experiment you can use. Hmm. Experiment with this for two weeks and tell me you don't have a, a lot better kid. And this guarantee is good. If a parent does that for two weeks as prescribed there and they're still having trouble with the kid, they call our office on our 800 number and tell them that they want to talk to me, I will call them back and see if I can't give them some other things that will work. But uh, I've made that guarantee now for about 20 years, and uh, I haven't had any phone calls. Oh, that's so good. People say, geez, I've got a totally different kid now. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, and the thing to emphasize just from my wife and I's experience using Love & Logic is you do have to stick with the script that's what we had to do. We had to write it around our house on the refrigerator, on the mirror is respond to that this way, because that's when, when you veer off is when you forget, how am I supposed to respond to this? And you have to reteach yourself the uh, song and things like that. So it's been helpful for us, but we've had to be diligent with those two weeks, like you've said, um, and have often had to start and the, over. And the reason for that is that uh, locked into our brain is the way our parents did it. Yep. So uh, that's our default response, and it takes a little practice for a while before we can overcome the way our parents did it. Yep, that's right. You have to unlearn some things to relearn a different way to parent and approach that. So the uh-oh song will probably not work for your adolescent-aged children. So what's the, what's the process there? Well, the process there when they're older, first of all, if we get that locked in early and the kid does something wrong and we say, uh-oh, it's going to mean something. Yeah. They won't know for sure what it means. And the reason they won't know for sure what it means is nobody knows what uh-oh means. And when you hear it, your brain stops <laughs> and tries to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But uh, see, we replace that with, uh, with the older kids with, uh, what we call delayed response or delayed uh, reaction, delayed consequence. And uh, now it's replaced with, oh, bad decision. I'm going to have to do something about that. But not right now. I make better decisions when I think things over. Mm -hmm. Because how many times have we reacted immediately and then we say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, all the time. It's, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and do you want your kids to start thinking things over before they make decisions? Yeah, absolutely. They need to see us doing it. So I'll get back to trying. And if we really feel a little sadistic on a given day, we can always say, I'm gonna, I'll do something about that later. Try not to worry about it in the meantime. Mm-hmm. 
And we're right back to uh, paradoxical psychology, aren't we? Yeah. It's they try not to worry about it. What do they do? <laughs> they worry. Totally. And that's, yeah. So by the time you actually have done something, it probably isn't near as bad as what they thought you were going to do. And they say, oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But um, buy ourselves time. Uh, that's the mantra. I put that on my refrigerator. Yep. Just those two words. Buy time. Hmm. You can always make a decision later on that. Yeah. And now, count if they're running out into traffic. We don't say, can't wait to see what happens out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you added that part in there. <laughs> well, and uh, it, it's hard to parent wisely or parent with self-control when you're getting frustrated in the moment so that by time is really brilliant to take a breather gather yourself and then so you can think clearly so you can give the right consequence um, or uh, kind of the result of their choices it's like the really strong-willed kids you know they uh you have a strong-willed kid, and the last thing they want to do is what you tell them to do. Mm-hmm. And you say, how did I make him that way? Well, you didn't. He was born that way, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he came out of that womb that way. Yep. And uh, so uh, there are some kids who just believe, if I do what somebody else tells me to do, I'm going to lose and they're going to win. Mm. And uh, the worst possible thing would be if you had your first child is one who comes out of the womb believing if I do what others want me to do, we all win. Uh, <laughs> then pretty soon you become pretty judgmental about the the neighbors who have a strong-willed kid. Well, I don't know what's wrong with them. I just tell my kid what to do. Yeah. So with that strong-willed child, we're still buying time. But the way we do it with the strong-willed child, we've said, uh, you know, I'd, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you could get that uh, lawn raked out there for me. And uh, it it pays to give him a deadline. Don't do it right now, but, you know, by Saturday morning. And his kid gives you a ration of arguing or eye-rolling or defiance or just ignores you. So here's the words. No problem. Hmm. And once more, we sing that out. No problem. Now, that sounds a little strange, but who are you actually talking to when you say no problem? Ourselves. Yourself, exactly. You got it. You nailed it. So uh, no problem. I'll take care of it. And you let them think they got by with it. And on uh, Saturday morning, if it's not done, you know, that gives you plenty of time to call up the neighbor kid and say, you want to make some real money on Saturday morning? Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to give you $20 an hour to go over there and... uh, rake the lawn for me, uh, but uh, please don't tell my son. This needs to be a surprise. And uh, so when he sees that happening, he said, well, I took care of it. You didn't do it, and you, well, kid still thinks he got by with it until you say, uh, yeah, that neighbor kid, you know, and I always hope for a kid who's a lot bigger and stronger. Hmm. And say, uh, he's going to be in in an hour asking you for some money. Uh, try to figure out how you're going to pay him for it. So one of the tenets of love and logic is when kids cause a problem, hand it back. Yeah. But hand it back without anger, lecture, threats, or any of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, is there uh, something that you've mentioned before, uh, some of that I've read or one of the uh, trainings that you've done? Also, along that example is the energy drain. How, how, how would that factor into if a parent actually did go out and rake the yard and if their child wanted to do something later that day, does energy drain factor into that scenario? Oh, yeah. let's, let's play around with that for a second because a lot of really young uh, parents of young kids use energy drain. And the nice thing is it doesn't matter what age the kid is, but an example with a young kid is he's been throwing a big old fit. You know, and you just put your hand on your forehead and say, oh, energy drain, energy <laughs> drain, draining my energy. And um, so later on in the day, he comes, well, can we go over to the park and swing? Now, remember, consequences uh, can make kids mad unless there's empathy first. So, oh, oh, wow. You know, I was watching that fit there that you had a little bit ago, and that just drained my energy. I don't think I've got enough energy to go over there and park and swing, so why don't we just sit on the couch together, and uh, I'm going to close my eyes and get my energy back, and uh, maybe we'll just pretend you're over there <laughs> at the park swinging. So <laughs> that's more than a little kid. So you yeah. can have a lot of with that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, uh, the kids have acted up in the uh, restaurant and you haven't been able to do anything about it. You say, well, you can say, oh, this caused me an energy drain. So when you get home, you say, oh, guys, how do you want to put that energy back? Well, I don't know. Well, would you like to hear how some other kids do it? You know, some, of the, some kids have a garage sale and sell some of their stuff and take the money and send me down to the spa and uh, some kids uh, go out and clean the garage and some kids do such and such uh, so there's two possibilities they can either do some of your work for you to get your energy back or they, you cannot do something for them that you were planning on doing mm -hmm. I remember one parent who uh, had such an energy drain that she didn't think she was going to be able to uh, take the kids sledding the next day. And uh, what she set up was uh, she was just going to go shopping and get her energy back. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she hired a babysitter for the kids. And uh, it wasn't until the babysitter got there that the kids figured out that they had to pay for it. Mm -hmm. They didn't have any money, and the babysitter said, I'll take I'll take toys. And they said no, they weren't going to do it. And uh, the babysitter was trained to say, "Oh, that's okay, no problem. I'll take care of that." See, um, your mom says that uh, someday when you're at school, I can just come in and uh, look through your room and find something in there that I can take to the pawn shop to get mm -hmm. my money. See, <laughs> those kind of things. If we have time to figure it out, we can call up our neighbors and say, how can we have a little fun with this? Still be sweet about it, but still hand the problem back to the child. Yeah. And the point to be stressed there is in the moment parenting, if we do not plan ahead, we will always struggle in the moment. And it will oh. be a knee-jerk reaction, kind of off the cuff. So you're telling us to think through what the consequence will be before it happens. No, not necessarily. Well, 
Uh, I got to hit it in a couple ways. Okay. One is be prepared to say to your kid, I don't know what to do about this. Yep. I had a principal friend uh, who uh, we were all, as principals, we were all upset with the superintendent. He used to do a lot of what things we thought were just stupid, you know, and everybody was getting upset except this one guy. And every time the superintendent would say something we didn't agree with, this guy would just kind of hold his hand up to himself and he'd say, ah, uh, I'm not sure how to react to that. Mm. I swear that he had a tattoo on one of his fingers that said, I'm not sure how to react to that. I'll get back to you. So uh, we give ourselves permission to not know. Okay. Because the funny thing is, if we went to the best psychologist, he might not know her at that time either. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, a lot of times I have to think about these things. So give yourself permission to not know, but um, then give yourself permission to think out what you're going to do. And here was a point I think you were making. What are you going to do if the kid reacts in a negative way about that? Yeah. And it's always no problem. I'll take care of it. Mm. Yeah. That's really helpful. And, yeah. Well, I know you got into the topic of temper tantrums a little bit um, and talked about the energy drain there. But when is anger appropriate? You know, um, one of the fallacies about love and logic is that love and logic parents are never angry. And that's a bunch of baloney. Mm-hmm. You know, we get angry. Uh, but it depends on what we do with it. Let's suppose I'm so angry I can't think straight, and I say, I'm so angry I can't even think right now. That really makes me mad. I don't know why I'm so mad, but I am mad. Now, we haven't said anything about the kid's behavior. We've said something about our feeling. And it's a, um, but uh, thank goodness I'm going to decide what to think about this before I do anything. Mm. So, so, yeah, there comes a time like that. Yeah. What we pray for is that most of the time when the kids do something that we don't want them to do, that our first response is empathy. And I'm not talking about lots of words. The most uh, impactful inner, uh, empathy statements are sounds like, oh, wow. Yeah. What a bummer. Hmm. Some parents use, dude, oh, no, you know, that kind of thing. So that uh, actually what we're doing, you know, uh, I'm hoping everybody who's listening right now will do this with me. Oh, say that. Oh. Now, that does two things. First of all, it changes the brain chemistry in the kids' minds. Uh, empathy puts people into thinking mode, where anger puts them into fighting mode. That's good. But the neat thing about it is it calms our own mind and puts us into thinking mode. So if we can get in the habit when the kids do something wrong, to, oh, wow. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really yeah. helpful. It really helps us. Yep. But uh, getting back to the temper tantrum, sometimes we got to be satisfied with just uh, 
changing the kid's location. We can't change his behavior, but we can change his location. Pick him up and put him somewhere else. You know, my son tells a wonderful story about a lady in a, in a store, and she watched him, and this kid was throwing a big old temper tantrum at the uh, counter there. And she looked around at everybody else, and she says, can you believe this? Hmm. Can you believe this? Everybody's looking at her by now. And then she says, I'll tell you, this is the last time I'm babysitting for that kid. <laughs> That'll do so, it. You know, put some humor in your life. <laughs> yeah. It's creative. I mean, I love what you said about the difference between empathy and anger. That That's so helpful. So um, it's just being thoughtful about your parenting. Um, sure. So I've got a list of questions to kind of go through here. They're all over the place, and you've covered a number of them. So if they relate to what we talked to, just reference back to that. Um, so sure. we'll, we'll jump right into what tips do you have for parents when it comes to toilet training their kids? Oh, yeah. You know, psychologists get rich on things like uh, things that we have no control over. <laughs> Yep. You know, uh, uh, toilet training, <laughs> thinking, you know, all the things that go on in the mind and so on like that. Uh, but uh, the, the, the best thing that we've ever discovered for toilet training is that to remember how do kids learn. They learn by modeling and copying and imitating. How do we know that? because we swear we're never going to be like our parents. That's when we're 14. And then when we're 30, we say, oh, good Lord, look at that. I sound just like my dad or my mom. So um, we want to model toilet training with great enthusiasm and so on, you know, rather than you need to get in there and go sit on that potty. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, it's, oh, i got to get to the bathroom. This is going to be great. I'm going to feel so much better after I do that. <laughs> so a lot of that kind of stuff. And then uh, when uh, I know that my son has kind of a strong-willed child, so he would say, potties are only for big people. It's only for big people. Hmm. You're not ready for that yet. I don't want to see you on that body. <laughs> yeah, paradoxical psychology. Paradoxical psychology. Yeah. Here's where people get into trouble with it. First of all, they, they try to start it too soon instead of just modeling it and uh, having fun with it. And uh, the other is when something goes wrong, they get upset. The kid is already potty trained, we think, and then suddenly he has accidents and we want to give lectures or we want to give punishment or we want to do all kinds of things. And the one thing that seems to have worked the best for people over the years is just one more, one of those little sentences that we have in our back pocket, and it always starts out with what? Oh, don't worry. You, don't do, you won't do that when you get big. See, because kids, the only thing they can think about at that age is getting big. That's right. I mean, you say, oh, you won't do that when you get big. Don't worry. Now, it may be that uh, along the way, he needs to start helping cleaning it up, that kind of thing. So the problem needs to become his. But there's never anger. There's never lectures. There's never forcing it. Hmm. 
It's the same thing. It's uh, it what it's what goes in us and goes out of us that psychologists may get rich off. Right. Eating and toilet training. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked about uh, this next question with a little bit with the strong-willed child. So, if there's a, a different approach, maybe for uh, just just in general, but how do we get our kids to pick up their stuff and clean up after themselves? Well, once more, we go back to that rule that says, when kids cause a problem, it has to become theirs. Yeah. So, um, you know, around our house and around a lot of Love and Logic houses, the the mantra is. You only have to pick up the stuff you want to keep. Hmm. So if I see things out, I know that you don't need that anymore. And uh, we have to be willing to actually say, we ask them to pick it up. They don't do it. No problem. I'll take care of it. And uh, then they're looking for it. Where's my fire truck? Where's my this? Where's my that? Well... Uh, I had to take care of that. Mm. Where is it? Well, it's gone. And, uh, well, when am I going to get it back? I don't know. You know, I'm thinking about taking it down to Christian services, but uh, maybe you could figure out a way between now and then to do some things for me that might convince me to, that you really need that stuff. But yeah. uh, try not to worry about it. Mm. So... Some people say, but he needs his toys. No, it's only the toy manufacturers who need him <laughs> toys. <laughs> lack of toys creates creativity. Yeah. Too many toys teaches, teaches entitlement and that kind of stuff. So, mm. yeah, we have to be ready to have the stuff disappear, and, uh, so, and we don't replace it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's some resolve that we all need as parents for moments like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just something to recognize. So, thank you for helping us see that. Well, um, I want to pivot into kind of a, the uh, next age group, but I think our hinge here is what should we do about spanking? Well, we don't we don't even spend much time talking about spanking because in love and logic. Parents who use love and logic uh, have kids who would beg for spanking rather than the love and logic, right? Uh -huh. So spanking, spanking does not hand the problem back to the kid. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, there's all kinds of philosophical reasons about spanking and so on. But first of all, it's a hassle. Yeah. And it uh, kind of... Destroys relationships, and worse than that, it lets the kid off the hook. Yeah, I had my spanking. Now it's over with. You know, I, I remember uh, one uh, so a set of parents who uh, took their had to go. They were court ordered to go to this class, and they went to the class where there was babysitting, and uh, gonna, their kids didn't get kicked out of the babysitting, so they couldn't come back. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> and so. Uh, they, they did that. Well, we'll have to do something about this. And um, what they did was they uh, said uh, something about it. They ended up taking the kids' uh, Malibu Barbies. <laughs> and uh, they were going to take them to the pawn shop or something. I don't know. But uh, anyway, the kids were saying, 
They went in and said, if we had spankings, could we get our Barbies back? <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't matter about what they did. The, the important thing is it was a problem for the kids, and they wanted to do something about it, and they were thinking about it. But if they were spanked, it's all over with. Yeah. So we don't uh, we don't teach spanking, and uh, so that's the reason. I'd rather do something where the kids have to have the problem. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's good clarity. So we got a whole range of questions about technology, and I don't know how much you want to dive into that. But when it comes to putting limits on technology, or you know, even a parent putting boundaries on their own use of technology, what wisdom advice do you have for that category? Well, first of all, it starts with modeling, doesn't it? Yeah. A great psychologist who used to be on the uh, Today Show by the name of Sylvia Rim taught eavesdrop value setting. And uh, basically what it boils down to is if uh, if you tell a kid to do something, or you tell him, say, I'm going to tell you this, and I want you to remember it, how long do they remember it? Uh, not long. <laughs> but what if they've overheard you hear, say something that you didn't want them to ever hear? Mm-hmm. How long will they remember that? Yeah, that's going to stick the around. Of their life, right? So uh, when you want to set these values, you talk about yourself where the kid can overhear it, but think he's not supposed to hear it. Mm. So you're talking to somebody else about uh, uh, your time on your devices and stuff like that. And you're saying, oh, you know, I think I think the people who designed those phones have tricked me into believing I have to be on it all the time and it's just messing up my life and I, I've got to find ways to get that under control. So if a kid overhears that, He'll probably remember it. Mm-hmm. If you tell him that he needs to spend less time on there, that's like uh, just water off the duck's back. Yeah, that's right. So that's that's where it starts. Yep. And then uh, the other is the limit in our home is that you can have the, that stuff, and you're going to have access to it. As long as it doesn't cause a problem with our relationship. Hmm. So you're going to see you are always in control about whether or not it's contributing to your relationship or not. Yeah. So if I were at the dinner table and I see your head down there uh, texting all the time, that's causing a really, that's the problem for our relationship. Hmm. So the other is they don't have unlimited uh, use of that phone. Everybody's phone goes in the basket at night. Mm-hmm. They don't have TVs. They don't have screens of any kind in their room at night. And that goes for everybody in the house. Now that can help. Yeah. Uh, there's there's an awful lot of good information out now about um, the kind of apps that kids can have on their phones that actually create secret messaging and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, it really pays to to get uh, be aware of the apps that kid has on its phone and research what is that app for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you see a kid with his, you say, I want to see your phone, and he, and he shakes it a couple of times before he gives it to you. 
That is, there's an app there that uh, makes it possible for him to erase everything that was on there just by shaking it. Yeah. So the parents need to become really aware of that. Yeah. But one of the great stories that I heard just recently was about a, um, a mom who said that her 14-year-old daughter just could not get the idea that there would there was danger on that on that uh, chat, and uh, so mom, and I don't know exactly the mechanics of how she did this, but I think she got a burner phone, mm-hmm. and she managed to get uh, a, a chat relationship going with her daughter, and the daughter thought it was some other boy, mm-hmm. uh, an older boy, and the chats got pretty heated along the way and really got into uh how clueless the parents were and uh, all this kind of stuff and how they couldn't wait to be old enough to get out of the house. And uh, to the point where they finally decided that we just need to meet. And so uh, they set up a meeting at the uh, Starbucks. And uh, the mom, who was pretending to be somebody else, even told the kid where to sit toward the back there and uh, I'll come in and meet you. Mm. So the girl is there expecting this older boy. And who walks in? It's mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, this kid is just livid. Yeah. And, uh, and you can't do that. And mom says, well, yeah, I, I did. And I can, and I'm sorry it's embarrassing for you, but um, um, I, I can do it, and I will, because I love you too much to uh, take a chance on your having another experience with somebody that might not turn out to be me. Mm-hmm. Well, this kid uh, pulled one of these uh, classic, well, you just don't trust me. And uh, I want parents to have a ready answer for that you don't trust me. And that's, well, and we slow down when we talk about that. Well, let me tell you what I do trust. I trust your intelligence, and I really trust your good intentions. And what I don't trust is your wisdom, Hmm. because that's something that's not going to come for a long time. That comes from (laughs) getting a lot older. So, yeah, you're right. I don't trust your wisdom, but I do trust these other things. And uh, then the next time a kid says, well, you don't trust me? Yeah, well, what do I trust? Mm. Rather than getting into, uh, oh, yes, I do, you know, because kids want to get us into that big argument. And uh, you know what's going to happen. They're always going to find more things to argue about. And uh, that becomes a problem. So I like to have that in my back pocket. Yeah, that's really good. I trust. And so within the conversation about technology, I feel like it can go one of two ways. Well, if they get technology taken away, they'll be so bored. Or you can't take this away from me because it's mine. So boredom and entitlement, how do we handle those? Well, let's take those separately. Boredom, first of all, it's, boredom is great preparation for becoming an adult, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, would, I wouldn't hesitate to say that. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry you're bored, but it's great practice for being an adult. <laughs> okay. 
another reaction to that is, oh, that's really a bummer. I'm sure glad I don't let myself get bored. <laughs> but what we do not do is we don't get into, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? Because the kid, I don't want to do that. That won't work. I can't do that. You know, we don't want to get into those kind of arguments. Um, one technique that works really well is, well, would you like to hear what some other kids try when they're bored? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, hey, you can come do some stuff with me. Mm -hmm. you know? Or you can help around the house. Yeah. Oh, they'll find something to do with those ideas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so the other one, other question that you had was entitlement. Yeah. And entitlement comes from this belief that because of who I am, not because of what I produce or how I act or how I treat other people, I'm entitled to the good life. Mm -hmm. You know. We wrote a book called From Innocence to Entitlement. Hmm. You know, um, I'm such a, I'm so special that I shouldn't have limits, basically. And uh, so that starts really early with two things. One, making sure that kids have a good uh, handle on cause and effect. In other words, that uh, we are holding the kids accountable for their bad decisions early but we're doing empathy first. Oh yeah, uh, that, I bet that hurts. Oh, what a bad decision. Well, maybe I can help you figure out how some other kids have worked their way through that. We like uh, that. Would you like to hear what some other kids have tried? Yeah, well, some kids try this. How would that work? Some kids try this. How would that work? And so on. So that, that love and logic parenting in the early stages is really important. Mm -hmm. The other is that uh, they're earning what they get. You know, I was really lucky to have a dad who was very, very poor and couldn't provide anything but the bare essentials. We lived in a house with no running water. Mm. But I had a dad and a mom who said, in America is the only country in the world where you can become anything you want to become or get anything you want to get, but nobody's going to give it to you. You're going to earn it. And they made it earn our way. Mm -hmm. So, um, they, um, we say the way you handle allowances is really important. How you handle contributions to the family. The kids should be making contributions to the family early and, uh, it's because we're all a team, you know? Yeah. I'd like, to, I'd like to have a list on the refrigerator, and parents can take a few weeks to make this list of every single job that it takes to keep the, keep the house running. And that includes earning the money for the family, driving the car, washing the clothes, cooking the dinners, all that kind of stuff. And... Uh, so after that list is up there for a while, the kids can, as they get older and older, take on more and more of those things. But uh, it's a team effort. We're a team getting through this life together. Uh, you're not an honored guest in the home. Yeah, I like that. That's the attitude. So uh, the more we do that, 
the, the less we've got a chance that the kid is going to believe that I, I'm going to go to school, but you've got to buy me a BMW because my <laughs> friends are there, right? Yeah. So. Well, Jim, for the sake of time, I want to be respectful to your time. How are you doing over there? You got time for a few more, or do we need to start wrapping this up? I do have time for a few more. Okay. Yeah. Well, then let's talk about negative attitudes, eye-rolling, and disrespect. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, eye-rolling. I, I love the... Uh, I had a teacher friend when the kids would roll her eyeballs, she would just look at him and kind of surprise like, and she'd say, can you see your brains when you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of you get that attitude straightened out. Mm -hmm. Can you see your brains? To, and uh, then every time the kids would roll their eyeballs, he'd say, you still looking for your brain? Mm -hmm. It's bound to be there. You keep looking. And another thing she would do is she would say, you know, I'm going to tell you something in a minute, and I'd really like to see some spectacular eye rolling on this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Another thing um, with uh, attitude is that um, the best time to talk to a kid is when they're, when they're happy and you're happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I especially like to talk to kids when I'm driving because I don't have, I can't look at their eyes when, I'm, and I can't look at their attitude. And the worst I can do is listen to them over there going, <coughs> that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, say, uh, you know, say this is a good time to visit about something I've been wondering about. Or here's an even better way to get kids to listen. Say. You know, uh, son, I need to apologize. Mm. Uh, well, for, well, I've been getting really angry every time you give me some attitude. And I need to apologize that because I'm sure you're trying to tell me something without telling me in words. So um, would it be okay if every time I see that attitude stuff that you just haven't figured out a good way to explain to me what you're unhappy about, and uh, I'll try to understand. But in other words, we don't uh, we don't buy into the attitude stuff. Mm -hmm. Another time we might say something like, um, "I was wondering if you were trying to train me to have attitude when you asked me things." Mm, yeah. Just a question like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So much of what influences our children as they grow up is friendship in a lot of these categories. So how do we as parents help our kids navigate friendship in a healthy way? Well, once more, do you remember the eavesdrop value setting thing that uh, Sylvia Rim taught us about? Yeah. Uh, where we talk with somebody else about our own friendships and how they're working out and... Uh, uh, how they're not working out, and what we think we should do about that. We'll get a whole lot more about that, uh, more results of, by doing that than anything else. The other problem we run into is when our kids are having problems with their or their relationships, we feel so sorry for them, we want to get in and fix it for them right away. Yeah. And actually... Most people are not asking for a fix. They're asking for somebody to understand. So when my kid is talking about how 
friendships are going sour on, on her or whatever, by far the best thing we can do is, is just be really empathetic, not with a lot of words, but with sounds again. Oh, wow. That's got to be tough. Hmm. You know, and then jump into what do you think you're going to do? Hmm. What do you think you're going to do? Well, I don't know. Well, would you like to hear what some other kids have tried before? Hmm. And always start out with some really bad ideas. Yeah. Yeah, you could just get on the internet and really trash her, you know. <laughs> How would that work out? Mm -hmm. you know? Some don't say you could, but say some kids do this, some kids do this, some kids write a letter to them, some kids uh, do this, you know. But don't feel like you have to have all the answers. What we're trying to do not is, is not to give them answers, but to just get them thinking that there is more than one way to deal with any given situation. Yeah. Well, and then kind of to wrap this up, and you've alluded to it all the way through this, but kind of how do we proactively instill healthy values in the lives of our children? Let's go back to eavesdrop value setting again. Yeah. If I tell my kid you should be honest, you know, even a, they have these things in school where they think we're going to change kids' belief system by reading them stories about other people who are great and so on. That nah, mm. it's a waste of time, you know. But what if what if you come home and say to your loved one, where the kid can overhear it and think he's not supposed to? Oh man, I I, I made a mistake at work today and. I really wanted to lie about it. And I finally got up my nerve to tell the truth, and geez, I feel so much better. I'm glad I did that. That's going to stick. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people, how do I get my kid to go to church? How to get him to value at church? Well, telling him he should doesn't do the job. But what if you're saying to somebody, some other adult, you know, I was really down really down, but I went to church today and I listened to that message and boy, I'm feeling so much better. Mm. You know, that doesn't mean it's going to work for right this minute, but there's going to be a day when that kid is down and that's going to stick with him. Right. So that's where all values come from is our modeling yep. and our, um, talking about how it affects us, not how it's going to affect the kid. Hmm. Yeah. Well, in the practical application that I feel, for some reason, whenever I make a phone call or take a phone call at home, my children just find me. So it's as yeah. if I need to get a friend who will call me just so I can do this kind of, you know, instill values indirectly by <laughs> just talking to a friend on the phone. Oh, pat yourself on the back, Todd. That's a great one. I got to remember that one. There you go. Well, I got it from you. So, you know, we'll just, we'll share it. But that's, I mean, that's what helped. And I would say that for my own childhood is I love church now because my parents did. My dad was a pastor for as long as he lived and had such a joyful approach to church. Yeah, he was frustrated and there were difficult times, but he loved the church. And I love it in large part because of him. Isn't that so. funny? That triggers the fact that, my son, who's such a great speaker and is, uh, uh, writes about Love and Logic and so on, is really the name behind Love and Logic now, hmm. tells people that 
He watched me and Foster Klein back when he was a kid having so much fun presenting and talking about these things that it just stuck with him that he wanted to have that much fun when he that's it. grew up. And that's what drew him to this. Yeah, I love that. Well, a delight talking with you today. Yes, Jim, thank you for taking so much time out of your day to invest in our families and to encourage them. What are your your few favorite Love & Logic resources that you would recommend to get started with? Well, you know, for years, uh, people have been asking us, they said, if I just had an app where I could type in or say in, what about potty training? What do I do? Or what do I do? My kid is shoplifted or what is so on. You know, uh, we've been writing Insider Club articles, all kinds of articles since 1988, at least one or two a week since then. And we archived all of those. And now uh, people can get a subscription uh, for just about $9 a, a month where at any time, day or night, they can plug into that and they can also get uh, new uh, videos each week and uh, all kinds of things. They can send in questions and all that kind of thing just uh, on the Love & Logic subscription. So if they get on our website, loveandlogic.com, that's probably the most valuable thing because I've seen people... Uh, they say, I got, I got a website that's worth, uh, I got a webinar that's worth a hundred bucks and it was just part of my $9 a month subscription. Mm, yeah. So, uh, uh, the other thing I would suggest that parents listen to two audios and listen to each one over and over. And each time they all hear something new and different. And one is called helicopters, drill sergeants and consultants. Mm. And the other is called Love and Logic Magic When Kids Drain My Energy. Mm. And uh, those two things, uh, I think we'll, those two things keep them going. That's awesome. It's like carrying you around in their pocket and listening to you in the car. So sure. uh, You got a pocket Jim Fair, a pocket Charles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much. I am so grateful. Can I say a prayer to wrap up our time? Absolutely. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we are so grateful for this moment that we can share with Jim. Thank you for uh, the wisdom that he can impart uh, to our listeners. And I pray that they would grasp these concepts and that they would apply them to their parenting to raise uh, healthy, responsible, respectful children and give them the grace they need to do this step by step along the way. Um, and we're grateful for the time that we could spend having this conversation. In your name we pray. Amen. Parent on parents, you got this. Thanks for joining us for the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority in their families. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you showed your support by sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast on iTunes. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest to you, visit foresthill.org.